I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Welcome back, everybody. So excited for today's episode. I'm joined by the incredible Keith Grossman. Now, Keith is the president of Time, yes, the iconic Time magazine, as well as a leader in the Web3 space and just an incredible human. This talk was so inspirational and so motivational. It's something that you do not want to miss. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you on today because, well, I've been trying to get you on for months. Ages. You never schedule me. <laughs> well, I'm happy that you could join us today. How would you introduce yourself? My name is Keith Grossman. I am the president of Time and a longtime fan of uh, the Lion's Den. <laughs> uh, well, you've done so much stuff. And I know it's your birthday coming up. But you've done so much stuff already for a really young age. So, I mean, how how have you been able to accomplish all of this? Well, well, I guess like if I could step back, like first and foremost, I'd say thank you because while recorded on a podcast, I appreciate that you refer to me as young, considering that like <laughs> offline you constantly refer to me as young. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, like I I've just been very fortunate that throughout my career, I've been at places where I've had great mentors. And where I've associated myself with great teams and those teams, as they've accelerated, have pulled me up and I have in return pulled them up and sort of reciprocated. And the places that I've tended to go to have been organizations that have required turnarounds or launches or saves of some sort. And and those are usually the areas that people don't want to go because everyone's so fearful of them, but when you turn them around, um, I think that they've acted more as an accelerant to my career and they've, and they've put me in a very good position and I've been very appreciative of it. Well, I think where you really excel, one of the places is that you really think differently. You think creatively. So you look at something and you're like, well, what can we do differently here? <laughs> is that a statement or is that a question? Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I think that the most important question everyone has to always ask themselves is why? Like, why do we do things this way? Why does it have to happen this way? What is happening in the world that is making the company operate? Most people just do, right? Most people enter into a company or think that they have to do something a certain way. Like, I'll give you a really good example is, you know, I was talking to a Web3 community that asked me, you know, if I knew anyone at the, uh, that could set them up with a Super Bowl ad. And, you know, here's a Web3 company. And I asked the founder of the company, of the community, why? And they said, well, it's the largest possible audience to reach people in mass. 
And I said to them, well, no, actually, YouTube is the world's largest possible audience to reach Super Bowl commercials in mass, which is why all of the Super Bowl commercials are debuted prior to the game on YouTube. And so I said, why wouldn't you just, instead of spending $6 million on 30 seconds, create a commercial for YouTube, call it your Super Bowl ad, and then tell your community that instead of spending $6 million on the Super Bowl ad, you're going to spend $6 million on them, but here's your Super Bowl ad on YouTube, right? And I just, you know, like, I think that sometimes people have to get out of the way of thinking just because it's always happened this way, it has to continue to happen. And the problem is, is it comes down to people's comfort level as it relates to change. And what I mean by that is, is if you, and I'm sure you do this all the time in your, in your seminars, if you ask everyone, do you love change? There's not a single person that doesn't say yes. And yet, when presented in a situation of change, almost everyone hates change unless they're in control of the change or they understand how the change will impact them directly. But very few people are willing to sort of go out onto that proverbial invisible bridge and take those steps by themselves to, to sort of lead themselves to a new direction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that a fair answer to your statement? It wasn't even a question. That was a great, that was a great response, response. But uh, that's where the best business ideas really come from, or even growth within the companies is when people really do that, when they, when they see how they can do things differently. And I found when we've run into obstacles or failures, and it forced me to think differently was when we really went to the next level because it forced us to innovate. But it's interesting because I was looking at, a lot of the big businesses that went under the last decade and, and the majority of them were because they failed to think differently or operate differently, like Blockbuster. They turned down Netflix. <laughs> Here's what's super interesting to that point, right? Like there's an amazing book and you and I have talked about this book at length before called The Innovator's Dilemma. And the reality is, is like when you have a company that is doing a certain type of business and that business is high margin and very profitable. And the consumer is presented with an alternative that is uh, cheaper and good enough, right? Good enough is the key, but the margin is less. The good enough alternative will always win, right? Like people think that people are, are hugely brand loyal, but they're not, right? If I was to use uh, I, and I know I'm sorry uh, that, that basketball is not a Canadian sport. But like if I was to use an American sport, for instance, when Michael Jordan played for the Bulls, right? Everyone was a Bulls fan, right? Michael Jordan has not been playing for the Bulls for years now. I don't know a single Bulls fan, right? And so there's an element where people attribute too much to what they believe is customer loyalty and too little to what they believe is customer experience. And, you know, within the media industry and specifically, there are two things that I think happen quite, a, quite, quite often. One is, is alternatives are presented quite a bit that are good enough for the consumer, but that on paper to a CFO, um, look terrible. So like a good example would be like to sell a page in a magazine, you know, the margin is gigantic, 
to sell an ad on time.com, the margin is nominal, but more people want to, more advertisers want to buy ads on time.com, not in the magazine, right? And so like while on paper, the magazine might look like the better business theoretically, in reality, it's not, right? And so, you know, how do you evolve in that? And the only way to really evolve in that is to be fast and nimble and 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 to win on on speed. Hmm. Speed. Okay, so when you came on to Time, you had a huge job in front of you and rebranding and and bringing life back to it and all that stuff and making it cool again. And uh, you talk a lot about humanizing the brand. Yeah. What does that mean and why is that important? So so you and I met on Clubhouse. And and I love that you always make fun of me for the human <laughs> aspect of, of the brand. But you know, I use that a lot now too, because but, I think it's, it, you know, as I've come to look into it more, I think it's actually really brilliant and it, important. It, it's, it's super important. I learned this when I was at Wired, not deliberately, accidentally, Prior to social media, brands were monolithic entities to the consumers, right? If you were GE or if you were Wired Magazine or, or, or if you were Time, to a consumer, you were an establishment. Like you just existed as Time or as Wired or as GE or as GM. And then what I realized one day was I was on Twitter at Wired and I was the associate publisher and somebody said, I didn't get my issue of Wired. So I tweeted at them and I said, DM me your address and I'll send you your issue of Wired. And the person went ballistic that the associate publisher of Wired reached out to them and offered them. And that person wouldn't stop talking about it to everyone. Like the net promoter score of me just actually taking the monolithic aspect of the brand and, and changing it. So that way it was interactive with the consumer had like unbelievable impact. And you have to remember this was in maybe 2010, right? So this is 11, 12 years ago. When Clubhouse came around, what I realized was, and what I love about things like Clubhouse and Spaces, and I think the reason why you're so successful on it and some others are too, is, is not only do you show that there's not a monolithic aspect of the brand, but you show that there is a real humanistic aspect of the brand because people get to hear me answer in real time. They hear my bad jokes. You've heard infinite <laughs> bad jokes, right? <laughs> They hear my intonation. They hear my genuineness or lack thereof, right, on some people. And so I think that what's interesting when you move from social media in text and imagery to social media in voice is you move from interactivity to humanization. And, and that then gets people really comfortable with certain brands, right? And so people in Clubhouse or people in Spaces might like me because they like how I answer certain things or they like my bad jokes. But then there's a ripple effect that ultimately benefits time, right? Because it's keep at time. Now, as a result, I think you've ended up building a powerful personal brand for yourself while you've been on this mission to humanize 
time, which is powerful in a whole other capacity, because now if you do wanted to, if you ever did want to go into another industry or launch something else, you've got this personal brand that you can leverage. And so now Keith in its own is a, is a brand. And so I talk about this pretty often is that I think it's really important that all entrepreneurs or even employees are building that personal brand because you can lose your business, you can lose your job, but you can't lose that brand of who you are. And it also gives you all those benefits of having that human aspect behind everything that you do. Yeah. I mean, I think you make an amazing point, right? Whether it's entrepreneur or an employee, right? The brand of you is the most important thing that you should be thinking about. And it's the hardest thing, right? Because what you ultimately have to do is, is depersonalize yourself from being a human being. And you have to think about like, what does the brand of me stand for, right? What are my values, right? That's really important. And then ultimately, how does the brand of me positively impact other aspects of the organization? And most people, what they realize or they think is, is that the brand of them is what they put in every day and how their bosses think about them. But like what they don't realize is that your boss is really only valuable in, in accelerating your career for your first job into the organization. After that, the brand of you has to also be perceived not only directly as valuable to your direct boss, but to all of your teammates who have to look at the brand of you and say, wow, that's a team player. That's somebody who helps me. That's somebody who's always cares about my success and ultimately to divisions that you might not impact, but that could say, wow, if that person touches this project, we're all more successful. And then ultimately to the larger organization. So that way people say in the, in the leadership position, we're so lucky to have this individual who's such a team player, you know, within the organization. And most people think that, the only way to operate is to placate or be a strong brand to their direct boss. And I would argue that that's the worst way to evolve yourself because the only way somebody gets promoted in any organization is if when they're promoted, everyone in the organization goes, oh, that makes total sense. Hmm. That makes total sense. And then as an entrepreneur, Right. And this is where I think you could speak to this better than me, because I, you know, I have an expertise only for working for private companies owned by Jewish billionaires. Right. Like, but like as an entrepreneur where, where you, you exceed a lot of times the brand of femme fatale or the brand of the lion's den is attached to the brand of you and what that narrative is surrounding you. Mm -hmm. And I did it unconsciously. A few years ago, I started getting asked to come and speak to corporations about building a personal brand. <laughs> and I was like, what's a personal brand? But I did it unconsciously. And I'm really glad that I did it in a way that was just, that I did it in that way because I didn't set out and was like, okay, this is who I'm going to be. It was just who I was. Mm. And so it was just honest and authentic. And now I think that's the best way that you can build one is just putting yourself out there honestly on what you really stand for and just being a good human overall. Um, I think that's, I think that's the key, right? Is just be a good person. Like if your North star always has good at its core, right. And your intent is always good. I think that that's, that's, that's the starting point. And I think that most people 
want to start thinking that way, but ultimately end up operating more selfishly. And I think that that's a trap that people have to be always careful of. It's funny because I was working on an article this morning and it was about what I think the, the number one key to success is this year. And I, and I was, it is about being kind as a leader. And I know that that sounds silly, but it comes through with everything you do. It comes through with how you plan your products or services, how your customer support is trained, how your employees are treated, all of those things, I think. And it just comes out if you're if you're a, a jerk, it comes out down the road. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like everyone thinks life is short. And I would say life is long. <laughs> And it's really long. And the person that you scorn today, you have no clue where they're going to be Mm. five years or 10 years, in 20 years. And so there's no benefit to not being kind, right? Like, and I say this all the time in spaces, clubhouse, you and I have talked about this. I've tweeted it. My favorite quote is Warren Buffett's quote of love is the only commodity you can't hoard. The more you try to hold on to it, the less you have. The more you give away, the more you get in return. And I think that that's really an interesting way of thinking about kindness. When I talk about this quite often, I get, but don't people take advantage of you? And I think that's where, why we have operated so long with the idea of we have to be cutthroat when it comes to success because people have been burned or they've been scorned, but there's a difference between being kind and being strong. You know, you can still have strength within kindness. But. Um, it, yeah, I mean, kindness doesn't mean being a sucker, right? Like, like kindness, you could still be stern and be kind, right? Kind just means that you're not, you're not doing something to deliberately hurt or undermine another individual kind Mm -hmm. just means that you're not doing something to inconvenience somebody unnecessarily kind just means that that you're not looking at someone's vulnerabilities and then embarrassing them publicly kind does not mean weak right and i think that oftentimes people confuse that um you know, very few people recognize this or know this, but like you're like one of the kindest people I know, and yet you are, you know, a product of the Canadian gangs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough road. I mean, how many people do you stab? <laughs> at least a dozen. At yeah. least a dozen. I'm like Phoebe from Friends. You know, this is why. This is why you can't discontinue your lion's den membership right because because <laughs> <laughs> i will hunt you down <laughs> so i want to bring it back to branding and marketing because that is one of the things that you are incredible at if you were talking to a business owner right now what would you say are some of the most important things that they should be keeping in mind when it comes to branding and marketing well i would say uh, going back to the brand of you and I think it's really important. There's no private you and public you um, if you're on social media. Like while individuals might want to think that there is a, a fair separation, um, everything that you put out publicly, you will be judged on mm-hmm. and your brand will, will evolve around. And so 
Like, I think that if you're starting a business, you have to understand, like, what is it that you want to achieve with that business? Like, what do you want the values of that business to be? What's the vision of that business? But then as you put things into the world through, you know, Clubhouse or Spaces or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or take out ads or, or however you want to promote it, everything that you do as both your company and as you as the individual has to reflect those values and has to be genuine to those values. And if you do something that conflicts with those values, even once or twice, you're going to find that it's going to undermine the brands that you're looking to build. That would be like the number one thing I would point out to people. Like I look at Instagram feeds sometimes and I 100% evaluate and judge an individual based on what they put on their Instagram feed versus what they present themselves as in, in spaces or Twitter. And I hope that somebody does the same thing to me, but I try to be as consistent as possible um, with, with how I brand myself. Um, but I think that people have to be very, very careful about that. And I think that people have to be very, very cognizant of that. Have you ever put something out there that you regretted? Oh, yeah. I mean, I make mistakes every day. Uh, and I think, I think that, that that's a great question, which is, if, you, if you're so scared of failure or a mistake in action is possibly a bigger mistake than, than anything else. And so uh, I think it's important that you're constantly creating momentum for your brand. Uh, you know, I think it's important that you're constantly engaging with your brand. And I think that I've made, I think I fail or make mistakes every day, but I, I definitely am confident that I don't make the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. I think if um, you're not failing, then you're not trying new things. You're not getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's funny. Failure is a funny thing because everyone's so scared of it. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I wake up every day with a fear of failure, right? Like I wake up every day and I have this uh, paranoid mentality of everything that I've worked for up to this moment could disappear. I don't know if you ever have that fear, mm -hmm. right? But it's irrational. But that fear of failure is a great motivator. And what I've learned is, is that like that extreme level of failure is irrational, right? Uh, unless I do something extraordinarily terrible, that extreme level of failure is completely irrational. Mm -hmm. um, the flip side though is, is that every day in my career, I do make a mistake. And then I just have to ask myself, why did I do that? What could I have done better? How do I fix it? And how do I make sure I don't make the same mistake again? And what you realize is, is that when you're very junior in your career and you're starting out, you can make gigantic mistakes and they have very little impact on the organization's success. Today, if I make a gigantic mistake, it has a huge impact on the organization's success. And so I need to make sure that like, I got my gigantic mistakes out early, if that makes <laughs> sense, right? Yes. And now I make like smaller ones. Yes. Early on, I made a lot of gigantic mistakes. And I remember crying, first lawsuit, crying my eyes up being like, I'm not made for this. But, listen, uh, 
I'm so glad I got it out early and learned from it. And you know, what's interesting is hockey, hockey players, when they lose the games, they study the losses to see what exactly they did in any areas where they could not only win, but dominate in the next one. And I think that's what a lot of the best people do is they really study their failures. 100%. Um, just a quick clarifying question. What's hockey? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, Wayne Gretzky. Do you mean curling? Wayne Gretzky, is uh, he's from Brantford, which is like an hour from Stratford. Hmm. All right. So <laughs> I, I have to ask you about Web3. Okay. Because you took... You went there before really any of the big brands were going there. And now they're all going there. Nike's jumping on. H&M is jumping on, I saw today. So many of the brands. So you went there and not only did you go there, but you were really successful with it. So take us into there. What did you do? Why did you do it? Were you scared? So, 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 I mean, I think every... And I've, I've used this joke before, so I apologize. I feel like you know all my jokes at this point, which is the great, the great philosopher, Mike Tyson, has this quote that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like we had no intention of taking time into the Web3 or crypto space. But in February of last year, our owner, Mark Benioff, sent Edward Felsenthal and I a note that said, did you see this? And it was the Nyan Cat sale for $350,000 um, as an NFT, the original Nyan Cat. And I looked at it and, you know, when something just clicks, like it all just clicked. And I just said, wow, we could do that. And nobody understood sort of what I meant. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, let me ask you guys a question. Do you understand why? a cat with the body of a Pop-Tart farting a rainbow (laughs) would go for $350,000. And everyone said, no. And I said, trust me on this one. And what I saw at that moment was accumulation of everything you see sort of behind me on my wall, which is my career, you know, my time at Wired, where I was exposed to cryptocurrencies, followed by my time at Bloomberg, where I love finance, or the fact that I just like art and culture all coming together. And I saw that we had this iconic brand that people loved as it related to its covers. And I saw that there was an opportunity to lean into this moment in time and begin to reposition time as a leader within the Web3 space in in a few different capacities. Um, One was just a simple one-of-ones, right? Because that was the easiest one for me to see initially, which was how do you take a cover and turn it into a digital asset and then sell the rights to the digital asset to be owned by another individual and um, how that could be validated on the blockchain, which I think is absolutely fascinating. But I actually announced when we were coming out that we weren't just going to do that because I felt that that would be perceived as just a cash grab, that we were actually going to pivot our entire brand towards validating the space as a real transformative moment uh, for consumers and the media. And so in the same article in Yahoo Finance, I said, we're going to do this. We would accept cryptocurrencies for digital subscriptions, which we did within 28 days. And that within six months, we would figure out how to use the token, 
right? So everyone confuses the NFT as a piece of art with a token. It, all it is is a token that's validated, a blockchain, we did not know which one, to change the consumer relationship with our brand. And that's ultimately what Timepieces was. Um, at the time, I had no clue how we would do that. All I looked at was the trend line, that that's where it was going. And I was very fortunate because I spent six months in clubhouse rooms and spaces rooms listening to people who are far more proficient in the space than I was and watching what was working and what wasn't. And all of those people were what influenced the launch of timepieces. And I mean, it's been it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, very highly profitable business for us, eight figures of profit in nine months. And um you know, publicly, uh, close to $56, $60 million in secondary sales since September. Wow, that's incredible. Did you get pushback when you said, this is where I want to go? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> at first, at first, I didn't get pushback. At first, everyone texted me and asked me if this was an April Fool's joke. That's, 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 but that's been the story of my career, right? Like when we launched the tablet edition at, at Wired in 2010, people thought that we were crazy. We did it with Adobe. When we launched the accelerator at ours, which was a predictive algorithm, people said that couldn't be done. And both, both of those entities won, you know, and we project Isaac awards for digital inventions. Um, when we went to Bloomberg and we said, Hey, the way that consumers are interacting, with the platforms is different. And what if we took Twitter, the world's fastest newsfeed and overlaid it with a video verification um, with, with the world's largest newsroom? People thought that that was crazy. And so like, I, I feel that every time you really go to a new medium or a new way of which consumers are engaging, everyone kind of laughs at you like you're a little crazy. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of used to that. I think the reason that you and I get along so well is, is because you're constantly laughing in my face. <laughs> so accurate. So everybody now wants to get into the space, but 99% of the people I speak to are so confused by it. Yep. How do you tell where where would you tell somebody to start? Listen. Mm -hmm. Read. Go to these spaces. Where do they find them? I mean, I think what you should do is is there, you know, the, the reality is is that the entire web three evolution or revolution, depending on how you want to refer to it, is really very easy to spot. It's really taking place on Twitter spaces and on, on Discord right now. It's not on Clubhouse. Unfortunately, I love Clubhouse. It's not on Facebook. It's not on Instagram. It's in Twitter spaces and it's on um and it's on Discord. And it's fascinating because those are both centralized communication tools promoting a decentralized revolution, right? But I would go onto spaces and I would look at some of the NFT rooms and I would look at, I, I would probably start with people like Farouk and O'Shiny, right? Who are really good representatives of, of, of the space. And then I would start to listen to what those conversations are like, whether they're on Rug Radio or on O'Shiny show, which is at 11 o'clock every day, Monday through Friday on spaces. And then I would start to follow some of the people that he has on stage or that they have on stage and slowly build out your network from there. And I would start to acclimate oneself to, to the community. I mean, 
there are certain signals that and words and terminologies that that the community uses all the time. I mean, I see you even, you know, every morning with your GM now, right? Um, like that is a signal to, you know, the Web3 community that, you know, it's another wonderful day, right? Like let's, let, we're all in this together. And I think that's a really nice sort of aspect of the community. Um, and I think that you should also listen to some of the rooms that are highlighting some of the flaws of the Web3 approach, mm -hmm. right? Like there's, you know, for all the good, there's never technological advancement that can also be used for bad, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're going to see some of that come out too. And I think that the the trick is everyone who's jumping in now might think that they're so late. But like what I would say to you is, is you're still very quite early. The macro trend towards online ownership is very real. But what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis may not be what the macro trend ends up being, right? And so it's really important that you don't rush into it, but that you listen and you see what, how does my brand or how do I as an individual play a part to add value to the consumer in this evolution? Love that. Start with listening. All right. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. So a few more questions. What do you think is... What do you think is the secret to success? Grit, Good hard answer. work. You know what my favorite, when you and I met, the one thing I, I said about you behind your back was <laughs> no one's going to beat you. Like, uh, like if they think that they could knock you off your feet, you're going to get up. If they think like, like, like they would have to essentially uh, uh, kill you no offense, like in, in the nicest way to beat you. The same, and, I, and I feel the same way about me, right? Like I know that, I think that grit is number one. I think success is, is an individual thing, right? Like somebody has to decide for themselves, what do they define success as? Some mm -hmm. people define success as ultimate luxury of time and use of their time. And some people define success as money and power. And on that spectrum of life being on one end and uh, money and influence being on the other end, I think people have to decide, like, what do they want in their life? And I think that the worst advice and the advice I could never give somebody is that you can have it all. It just doesn't exist. It's mm -hmm. a spectrum. Life on one end money and influence on the other end. And you have to decide for a certain period of time which one you want. And if mm -hmm. you stay in the middle, you pretty much have neither, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it, it just it just sort of like, it, it vacillates. And so you stay and you continue to grow and advance your life and your career without advancing your money or your or your influence or gaining the amount of life that you might want. But what I don't think a lot of people understand when they read about you and they read about, you know, your accomplishments or your successes is I'm willing to bet that on the spectrum of life over here and influence and money over here, you've given up quite a bit of life to achieve what you want over here in money and influence. So that way at a later point down the road, 
you have the ability to focus on life and if you wish to have that decision. And I think that that the biggest mistake people could make is believing that work-life balance really exists. Hmm. Um, if you want in your life huge monetary success, if you don't, then it exists and it's totally there. But I think that, you know, like when I try to explain to somebody my work ethic or my work schedule, you know, the reality is, is, is I wake up at 4.35 a.m. every morning. I work until I can't work anymore at any given moment in time. And I work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that to some people, they go, that's disgusting. And in some people, they go, okay, then I get it, right? Like that's, 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 that's why I'm in that role. Well, it's really adapting the mindset of whatever it takes. And, and that's just how you operate. It's not even something that crosses your mind of if I have to do this. And I mean, I was talking the other day in a clubhouse room and I realized that last year when I was taking my mom to the cancer clinic every day, I was working from the car for 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Never even crossed my mind of like, Maybe I should take some time off. It was just, I couldn't go in anywhere because we were in lockdown. So I couldn't go into a cafe. So I worked and I had like my little setup in the car, which was horribly uncomfortable, <laughs> but it was just, and I mean, when I think about it, okay. So the, the, the alternative was I wallow in my circumstance and I give up, or I think of all the reasons why I shouldn't be working. Well, the bad things are still going to happen. I'm just going to have not been pursuing my dreams and my goals during the process. So I would be less happy on the way, but it's really just adapting that mindset of it doesn't matter what happens. I'm still going to find a way to make it work. And even so the other day, somebody messaged me afterwards after I was speaking and they said, well, that's easy for you to say, Emily, you know, I want to start a business, but I don't have a computer. And again, it was focusing on the things that you don't have. And I said, when I started my first business, I didn't have a computer. I didn't even have a bed. I slept on a blow up mattress on the floor because I couldn't afford a bed. Eventually my sweet aunt bought me one, but uh, I used to go to the public library and use their computer. You bet that. Pardon? Yes. Several beds. <laughs> okay. But uh, I went to the public library and used their free internet. It's yeah. like you just, you, you focus on the solutions, whether or not you choose to, to see the problems that are there is up to you. But it, it's just adapting that mindset. And I think once you start to operate in it, it just becomes like second nature. Like, okay, what am I going to do to make this work? Yeah. I, I, you are preaching to the choir on this one. I have no response. Yes, yes <laughs> right. is my response. Well, how how can we support you? I, you know, listen, I, I, I just wanted to make sure. First off, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I'm a huge fan of what you're building with um, Femme Fatale, with with the Lions Den, and with like the 9,700 other companies <laughs> that you you think of every day and every minute. I think it's really important. I hope. You know that that this this conversation, besides making people laugh, um, was helpful to to your community. And you know, if it if it was, you know, you know, support me by just you know putting more love into the world, right? And and putting more good out there. Uh, I don't I don't want anything, right? I just want I just want more people to see that there is there are paths to succeed, and that you don't need 
to take the exact same path. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make a difference what your background is or where you start. You know, there are certain things that are consistent against um, individuals. And, you know, I don't often talk about this, right? But like, and this is something that's super important for, you know, both, you know, you and, and me, but it's like, I was the first person in my immediate family to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to Cornell, which is an Ivy League school. You dropped out of high school. And there's nothing that I possess that you don't possess. And there's nothing that you possess that I don't possess. And mm, I think slightly that, better vocabulary. Yes. Besides that. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but, but for real, like, I want people to see that. Like, I want people to understand that, like, like there's all these things that people confuse and, and mistakenly think separate one person from another, but like for real, there's no, there's literally no difference. I mean, you and I have had endless conversations about tackling business problems. We see them the same way. We come up with different creative solutions. Our backgrounds have different ways of approaching certain things and sometimes come to the same solutions. And sometimes you come to better solutions. Sometimes I come to better solutions, right? But like, there's no, there's no, one size fits all. And so like, you know, like all I would want is, is if this was helpful to you hearing this conversation um, between us, my ask, and this would be how I would ask for it to be sort of uh, what you can give me is, is just pay it forward to someone else, pull someone else up, help someone else. Love that. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today. This was, this was such a pleasure. Well, uh, if I can, to the lion's den, I, I just want to say that that thank you, Emily. I know it took a very long time for me to convince you to come on and allow me to come on. Uh, just so everyone knows, Emily refused for many, 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 many months to allow me to, to come on to the podcast. She said that I had to figure out a whole new initiative to launch time into in order to qualify mm -hmm. for this, this interview. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to, to finally get together. <laughs> Me too. All right. Thank you so much, Keith. If you do want to see the full video version of this interview, you can head over to emilylyons.team and join the Lion's Den. The Lion's Den is my online membership platform where I have extended interviews. I have recorded training videos, event invites, live trainings, and so much more. I am so excited to announce the launch of my new membership platform, The Lion's Den. Yes, it's a play on my last name. I know. So it is an exclusive membership where I have recorded training videos and I add new weekly videos every single week on the latest tips for growing a business, adding new streams of income, and just generating wealth. So things like growing your social media following, building a personal brand, getting published in top media, all of the things that I have done over these last 12 years to build my different businesses and new things that are working right now for my team. Now, it's also a community. We have a chat community where we support one another. It's complimentary invites to events I have coming up like one in one week's time where you get the opportunity to learn from me one-on-one -on -one, live and ask me questions. So we have launched at an early bird price of only $7 a month. If you go to emilylyons.team, 
www.emilylines.team. You can sign up right now for the price of a Starbucks latte. You will get locked in at that price. So when we put the price up very shortly, your price will stay at that introductory early bird price of only $7 a month when everybody's goes up significantly. You can cancel at any time. Now you're going to get access to everything in there. You're going to be in my lion's den community and a part of my team, and I can help you win. Now, when you sign up today, you're also going to get a whole bunch of complimentary goodies sent over to your email, including templates on time blocking for my productivity planner, templates on intentional goal setting, a clubhouse notebook. So you can plan incredible rooms over on the clubhouse app like I do for success. You're also going to get my mini confidence course to show up and dominate in the places and spaces you want to be in. But you got to take action right now. Make sure that you go on over, sign up at emilylines.team and start learning today and start changing your life.